بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين والصلاة والسلام على أشرف الأنبياء والمرسلين نبينا محمد وعلى آله وأصحابه أجمعين أما بعد السلام عليكم ورحمة الله وبركاته اللهم انفعنا بما علمتنا وعلمنا ما ينفعنا أرزقنا علما تنفعنا به آمين رب العالمين الحمد لله ثم الحمد لله Jadi starting our fiqh durus um, Our lessons on fiqh and fiqh al-hadith And we are currently busy with Kitab al-Salah Which is where we stopped Before lockdown happened And we are busy with Sifat al-Salah Bab Sifat al-Salah which is A long chapter of course which deals with the description of the salah in great detail, walhamdulillah. Um, <coughs> the last ahadith that we covered was a hadith pertaining to the qunut. We were busy with a hadith pertaining to the qunut. Um, that was the last ahadith that we that we that we basically stopped at. Naam. Well, just read through those ahadith from the last lesson. Was that the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam? He did qunut for one month after the ruku'. And the other hadith that he did qunut in subh, in fajr, up until he left this world. Right? And those are hadith we have first explained in great detail when we covered them. The last hadith that we did was the hadith on That the Prophet sallallahu he did not do qunut except when he did qunut against a people or for a people, right? We spoke about that. Then the last hadith we did was the hadith of Sa'd ibn Tariq al-Asja'i radiallahu anhu. He said, Qultu li abi. He said, I said to my father, Ya abati, innaka qad sallayta khalfa Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi Indeed, you prayed behind the messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi and Abu Bakr and Umar and Uthman and Ali. All four are the khulafa or rashidin. الفجر, and did they recite the qunut in Fajr? And the father said to the son, قَالَ مُحْدَثٌ رواه الخمسة إلا What was the response to this question? Did, did they perform the qunut in Fajr? And the Sahabi said to his, his son, أو ما سن مُحْدَث Which means innovation. Yani they did not perform the qunut in Fajr, rather it's a bid'ah. It's an innovation, it's muhdath, something new. It's not something that was done by the Prophet nor any of those uh, illustrious leaders from amongst us, the, the Sahaba. Uh, as for the hadith that we mentioned, that he did not stop performing the qunut in Fajr until he left the dunya, that hadith is weak. Right? That hadith is weak. Tayyib, 
So we are still busy with the qunut. And I think there's one or two hadith left. It's basically the same hadith. It's a lengthy hadith. Where we will discuss the qunut in detail. And then we move on to the next issues in salah, insha'Allah. Um, so this hadith is narrated from Hassan ibn Ali, radiallahu anhuma. أَنَّهُ قَالَ عَلَّمَنِي رَسُولُ اللَّهِ صلى الله عليه وسلم كَلِمَاتٍ أَقُولُهُنَّ فِي قُنُوتِ الْوِتْرِ Hassan ibn Ali Hassan, the son of Ali رضي الله عنه, who is he? The grandson of Rasulullah صلى الله عليه وسلم سبطي رسول الله سبطي رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم Who was his brother? Hussein Let me know famously Hassan and Hussein the two grandsons of Rasulullah and the sons of Ali and Fatima radiallahu anha. These two grandsons, the Prophet sallallahu said about them, Sayyida shababi ahlil jannah. They will be the leaders of the youth of jannah. And their mother will be the leaders, leader of the women of jannah. They will be the leaders of the youth of jannah. But who's better? Hassan or Hussein? Hussein. Who was older? Hassan is older. And then came Hussein. Right? Ibn Uthaymin rahimahullah he says, Al Hassan ibn Ali afdalu min akhih. Hassan was actually greater than his brother. He had slightly more virtue than his brother. Because the Prophet said about him specifically. He said something about him, about Hassan. What did he say about Hassan? Inna ibni hadha sayyid. He said, this son of mine is a, is a sayyid. He's a master. He's a leader. And the Prophet said about him, Allah will use him to rectify or to bring together, to make sulh. To make sulh, to, to reconcile between two parties of the Muslims. This was a, a prophecy. The Prophet ﷺ is giving us a prophecy of what's going to come. What is he telling us? That what's going to happen is, there's going to be a split in the Ummah. Two parties, both Muslim. min He says, two parties from the Muslims. But Allah will use him to bring them together. To unite them once again. To fix up their affairs, to make sulh between them. You understand? This is a virtue of Hassan. It was specific to him. Right? This hadith in Bukhari, when he said this about his grandson, that he is a Sayyid, and Allah will, will make sulh between two parties of the Muslims by him or through him. And so what happened? What's the history? What, what, what happened afterwards? Aisha and Aisha Aisha and Muawiyah no what happened was is first and foremost Uthman radiallahu was martyred Uthman was killed right this was now after Abu Bakr left Umar left Uthman took over and this is where the fitna started to started to happen this is where the sects start to arise, right? And this is where the Shia, this is where the, 
the, the, the, the seeds of the Shia were being planted, planted the Rafidah, the Shia, who were inclined to, to Ali. They were Team Ali. Everything for them was Ali should be the leader. And many of them turned against Uthman. They turned against Uthman. Long story short, the Khawarij also appeared. Right? And what happened was is the martyrdom of Uthman took place. That's a lecture on its own, okay? Basically, the, the martyrdom of, of Uthman took place. And a lot of fitna happened. A lot of fitna happened and lying and, uh, you know, conspiring against each other happened. Not from amongst the Sahaba, from outsiders. Munafiqeen came and they wrote letters and they, you know, they would write a letter and uh, they would impersonate Uthman in the letter and threaten certain people and promise certain people certain things and wouldn't come through and then turn against him. But it was not actually Uthman. They were acting as on behalf of Uthman and they would so forth to, to, just to create, you know, uh, friction from within the Ummah. Long story short, Uthman Radu'anu gets killed. Uthman gets killed. He's martyred whilst reciting the Quran. He's sitting in his home, reciting the Quran, and as um, he gets killed, his blood spills onto the Mus'haf, where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, That Allah will suffice you. Allah will be sufficient for you. This was where the ayah uh, over them. Allah will suffice you over them. This is where the blood spilled onto the Mus'haf from Uthman radiallahu And there was a man who was part of the killing of Uthman. And what happened to him was is he was making tawaf around the Kaaba one day. And he made a dua. And his dua said, Oh Allah, forgive me. Although I know you will never forgive me. I know you will never forgive me, but forgive me. And this was heard by one of the imams of the tabi'een. And this imam stopped and he looked at this man and said, What kind of dua is this? And this man said, I was involved in the killing of Uthman. And when I killed Uthman, as uh, I can't recall the, the, the sahabi's name, made a dua against him. That may your hand be destroyed or something to that effect. And this Sahaba was telling when he looked at this man's hand, his hand was like, like ash, black, like cursed. Because it spilled the, the blood of, of Uthman. I think this man said, I slapped Uthman in the face as we came into the house. And this hand was, as, was like cursed for doing this. So there's a lot of detail. Uh, I gave it, we gave a talk on this some years back. I, I did the topic, the martyrdom of Uthman, and we spoke about the first fitna and what happened and how all these things happened in Allah Musta'an. Anyways, after the death of Uthman, Muawiyah um, was his cousin, situated in Sham, and Ali in al Madina. So Ali takes over the leadership, and Muawiyah receives a letter from the wife of Uthman. In fact, I think the wife was Muawiyah's cousin. And the wife sent a letter with her fingers, which was cut off inside. 
to say these people came in, they harmed me, they killed Uthman and so forth. What are you going to do about it? So Muawiyah decided we need to catch the killers of Uthman. They need to be apprehended firstly and be punished. As for Ali, he took a different approach. And Ali said, let me first set the, the state, you know, sort out the issues, sort, get the, the state up and running. He's the Amir al-Mu'mineen. He's the leader of the whole Ummah. So he felt, let me first sort out, you know, the affairs, and we will definitely go and apprehend the killers of Uthman. But Muawiyah was not happy with this. Muawiyah felt it should be done now. And they said Aisha was also in agreement with Muawiyah. And this is where the split happened. This is where there was a there was a split between the two. Does this mean that Ali hated Muawiyah and Muawiyah hated Ali? No. They loved each other <coughs> and they respected each other dearly. But this is where they had a disagreement. So they did not intend to fight each other or harm each other. But they had a disagreement on this. So certain people went with Muawiyah and certain people went with Ali. And this is where the fitna occurred. And it remained that way for some time. And again, in between the two, there was munafiqeen that was playing both sides. That was relaying false messages and so forth. Such that when they met on a battlefield, they met to make sulh. The munafiqeen incited fighting and fighting took place and blood was spilt. So forth. The fitna became severe until even Ali was martyred. Not by Muawiyah, not by Sahaba, by the Khawarij. By Khawarij. They were the ones who eventually killed Ali as well. Right? This is over time, this, 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 these things took place. And then who became Amirul Mu'mineen? Hassan. Hassan ibn Ali becomes Amir. For six months only, he's the Amirul Mu'mineen. Until what does he do? He hands it over to Muawiyah. For what reason? Because Muawiyah, you take over. You're more senior than I am. We're happy to follow you. But let's stop any differences. Let's just come together now. Everything away. And this is what happened in history. And this is the prophecy of Rasulullah That my son, the son of mine, is a Sayyid. And he will be the one who Allah will use to make sulh between two parties of the Muslims. So take note of this wording. Two parties of the, of the Muslims. In another narration it says two great parties of the Muslims. Two parties ja'azim. Two great parties meaning both of them are Muslims. It's not to say that the one is out the fold and the, the one is... So if you take the side of the Shia, what do they say? Muawiyah is cursed. Muawiyah is this. Muawiyah. They hate Muawiyah ibn Abi Sufyan. They hate Muawiyah and they curse him and they say the worst of things about him. And likewise his son, Yazid. Because what happened next was, after Muawiyah passed away, he appointed Yazid as the next Khalifa. Well, he's not actually a Khalifa anymore. He just became the, the leader. He wasn't known as Khalifa or Amirul Mu'mineen. Um, and then in that rule, of Yazid, Hussein was martyred. Hussein was martyred. And they blame Yazid for the martyrdom of Hussein. 
that the position of Ahlul Sunnah is that we don't curse Yazid the way the Shia do, nor do we praise him or love him. The many of the Sufis, because they, you see, there's a lot of similarities between the Sufis and the Shia. Especially when it comes to the Ahlul Bayt and so forth. So many of the Sufis even dislike Muawiyah. Even, even though he was a Sahabi, even though he had great status, many of the Sufis are anti-Muawiyah. Some of them won't say it, but some of them are clear that they've said certain things about him, which is not befitting to say about him. Whereas for Yazid, he's not a Sahabi, so they, they don't mind unleashing on him. Right? The position of Ahlul Sunnah is that we don't praise Yazid, nor do we promote him or love him or claim he was a great leader or anything to that effect, nor do we curse him and say he was kafir or he was a munafiq or he killed Hussein. Right? So our position is that we don't agree with him. He was a sinner. He was not known as a righteous person. He was known to be someone who was a kind of a sinner. And at the same time, does that mean he killed Hussein? He did not give the order to kill Hussein. Right? Rather, he sent somebody to stop Hussein because the fear was Hussein is going to revolt against him. Hussein is going to get certain followers who promised him. Who promised Hussein? The people in Kufa, the people in Iraq. Come to us, Hussein. We're going to follow you. We're going to be with you. And you know, you can be our leader and so forth. And again, it's amazing the way the history turned out. Before Hussein left, there were certain Sahaba that begged him not to go. There were Sahaba that cried and begged him and begged him and urged him not to leave. But he made up his mind and he left with his family. When, they, when he came, those same people who invited him deserted him. When the, um, when the people, the gods of, of Yazid came, these people eventually deserted him. They left him and he was killed. So it's because of the, them that called him and left him that he was martyred. You understand? As for Yazid, Yazid did not instruct them to kill him. Yazid's instruction was stop him from coming. That doesn't mean kill him. That doesn't mean apprehend him. It means turn him back. He wasn't pleased with the killing of Hussein. At the same time, nor did he punish him appropriately. This is where he was also wrong. You understand? So there's a lot of details in it. Um, but this is the position of Ahlul Sunnah. He was a Muslim. But he was not a pious, righteous Muslim like a Sahabi. He was not in the status of his father, Muawiyah. At the same time, we don't curse him and so forth. Right? Um, it's the killers of Hussein that have blood on their hands. And it's the people of Kufa. Who are the people of Kufa? The Shia. It is their forefathers that invited him, that promised him, and that deserted him. And this happened on the 10th of Muharram in a place called Karbala. Karbala. Kar- what does Karbala mean? Karb and Bala. Karb. And bala means hardship and bala. You know, it's a bala, it's a calamity. That's why it's called Karbala. It's a place of hardship and difficulty and calamity. And that's, that's why it's called that place, or the place where Hussein was martyred. So what happens every 10th of Muharram? Go online and go see the pictures, go watch videos. You will see the Shia. They cut themselves, they slap themselves, they beat themselves, they beat their children. They, you will see a Shia take a sword and chop, ch- cut his son's head. 
Yeah, his forehead till he bleeds. And he chops his back and he lashes himself. They do all these types of things. Why? Out of mourning, out of regret. What happened to Husayn? Because it was their forefathers who did it. So they punished themselves, you know. They have to feel the pain. They feel some hurt. And they, they do some crazy things. Which is not obviously to do with anything of the Muslims and so forth. Tayyip. So Allah Musta'an, it's a small history lesson. Um, but this, this, this took place after, and this was on the hands of Hassan that he brought the Muslims back together. He reunited the Muslims under Muawiyah's rule, uh, radiallahu anhum. And the Sheikh also speaks about the Rafidah, how they attach themselves to Hussein, and they only promote Hussein, Hussein. They don't promote Hassan. They barely promote Hassan. They only promote Hussein because this story provokes what sadness. And, more, and this is what they're all about. Sadness and mourning and depression. This is what they want. And they also want you to hate Muawiyah through these type of stories and so forth. This is the, the issue of uh, what the Shia are basically doing. So Ibn Uthaymin says it was a political issue, not a dini issue that they fought over, not an aqidah issue that they fought over. And so forth. Anyways, coming back to the hadith. Hassan radiallahu anhu, he narrates the hadith and says, Allamani Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam kalimatin aquluhunna fi qunutil witri. He says that the Messenger of Allah sallallahu taught me some words that I should say uh, in the qunut of witr. The qunut of witr salah. Right? So firstly, Ibn Uthaymin says, that <clears throat> he taught me some words to say in Witr. What does this, this, this tell us? That in Witr you can also make a different or additional kunuts. Yani kunut with other wording as well. This is basically what Ibn Thaym is trying to say. And therefore he says, this is also a, a response to certain people who say that the kunut, uh, you cannot add to the kunut. So this is the view of certain scholars, like Sheikh Al-Bani rahimahullah, is of this view, I believe, where he says, the qunut you cannot change. As it is, Allah Mahdini Shiman Arit wa that's the only way you can do qunut. You can't add to the qunut and make a long qunut, for example. He says the qunut must be the way it's narrated and that's it. Right? Ibn Uthaymin says on this point, this proves you can add to the qunut. Because the wording of the hadith says, he taught me some words to say in qunut of witr. Which means that there are other words as well. There are other wordings as well um, to say, right? He didn't say that this is the way that the, this is how I do the witr or how I do the kunut or how it should be done. He said he taught me some words, meaning there are other words as well that, that can be done and Allah knows best. And there are other narrations of Umar ibn Khattab where he did other versions of the kunut. Where he did other versions of the, um, of the kunut. So, what is the qunut and how is it narrated in this hadith? Okay. Um, this hadith is narrated in the, the five books. Meaning Abu Dawood, An-Nasai, Bin Majah, and At-Tirmidhi. Okay. It's also in the Muslim of Imam Ahmad. So, how does the qunut go? Allahumma hadini fi man hadayt. Allahumma hadini fi man hadayt. Right. So we're going to go through the meaning of the qunut 
and try to just maybe draw some benefits on some of the, the concepts that are mentioned. And it's important to try and at least understand this part of the qunut, the main part, the general words of the qunut, so that next time it's done or you do the qunut, whether it's in, uh, for, perhaps in Witr, for example, then at least you understand what you are saying. At least you understand what we are asking Allah for in the, the, the dua of the qunut. Allahumma hadini fi man hadayt, oh Allah, Allahumma means, oh Allah, guide me fi man hadayt. With those whom you have guided. Guide me with those whom you have guided. طيب. First and foremost, Ibn Taymin says, Al-Hidayah huna tashmal hidayatul ilmi wal-irshad. Hidayah, what is guidance? It includes two things. Firstly, guidance to knowledge and guidance to ilm or amal or irshad, acting upon the knowledge. There's two things here. Firstly, to have the knowledge, that's one thing. To act upon the knowledge is another thing. Right? Secondly, some people may act and you can act without knowledge. You understand? Both of these examples is a problem, is a shortcoming. If you're acting without knowledge, that's a problem. And if you have no knowledge, or should I say, if you, you got the knowledge but you're not acting upon the knowledge, that's also a problem. We need to try and combined between the two. So when we ask Allah for hidayah, this must be our intention. This must be your, your intention is to, oh Allah, guide me with those whom you have guided. This guidance you are asking for is guidance firstly of knowledge along with its action. Along with the action according to the knowledge. Right? The Sheikh says that it's as if you are saying Oh Allah, it's as if you are saying, Oh Allah, you have guided certain people. Right? What does this mean? You have guided certain people. There are people who are rightly guided. Some of in the past, some in the present. So make me of those people. Guide me and make me of those people whom you have guided. This is what this dua basically means. To summarize the meaning, to round up the meaning, you are saying, Ya Allah, guide me and make me of those who are rightly guided. Those whom you have guided, make me of them. This is what this first part of the dua means. Allahumma hadini fi man hadayt. Fi man hadayt means amongst those who have, who have been guided. Make me of them. Wa'afini fi man afayt. And strengthen me with those whom you have strengthened. Afiyah. You are asking Allah for Mu'afah, Mu'afat, which is uh, like safety, for example, from anything that can harm you. Whether it's sickness, whether it's worry and grief, whether it's some type of enmity that, that some, somebody might pose towards you. This is what you're asking Allah for. Safety and security, to keep you strong, to be of those who Allah has secured. Make me of them. Right? So al-mu'afat that you are asking Allah for, the Sheikh says, is that Allah prevents you, your evil from others. Meaning that you don't harm others. Likewise, that they do not harm you. So you, your evil is protected and also you are protected from the evil of others. And this, the Sheikh says, is also inclusive of, of it includes matters of deen and dunya. Right? So it's a, it's a, 
a general way of what? Seeking protection, of being safe. Strengthen me or keep me safe, or keep me safe and secure, along with those whom you have strengthened, or along with those whom you have kept safe. You understand this part? وَتَوَلَّنِي فِي مَنْ تَوَلَّيْتِ وَتَوَلَّنِي فِي مَنْ تَوَلَّيْتِ Take me into your care. Right? Along with those whom you have taken into your care. This refers to Allah's wilayah. Take me into your care. This is just a translation. Right? What does this mean? What does this mean? تَوَلَّنِي Take me into your care. It's basically you are asking Allah to make you a wali. You are asking Allah to Grant him his special wilaya, his special care, his special guidance, his special uh, wilaya. Right? That Allah makes you of his awliya. This is what you are asking Allah. Allah makes you of his close servants, his close slaves. Take me into your care means that you are asking Allah to make you of his special Servants, those who have his special wilaya, special of the awliya of Allah. So Ibn Uthaymin says the awliya of Allah, we don't have any specific definition for them in the sharia. Right? Allah hasn't given us a special definition, these are the awliya, or they have to fulfill these points. A whole lot of different. Now Allah gives a very general idea of who the awliya are. Who are they? In the Quran, what does Allah say? Ala inna awliya Allahi la khawfun alayhim wa lahum yahzanun ala alladhina amanu wa kanu yattaqun. Two things Allah tells us. Two qualities. Two traits. This is what makes you a wali. This is what makes you a close slave of Allah. Or quote unquote a friend of Allah. Alladhina amanu wa kanu yattaqun. That's, that's it. What does it mean? Those who have iman, those true believers, and those who have taqwa. Two things, al-iman and taqwa. So the question is, the question then is, is every Muslim not a wali? Does every Muslim have iman? Does every Muslim not have taqwa? Yes, we definitely do. But our levels differ. Right? This can take us back to the three levels that we speak about all the time. Islam, Iman, and Ihsan. But ultimately, we have a level of Iman. If you don't have Iman, you're not a believer at all. Right? If you don't have Taqwa, no Taqwa at all is possible. A person has no fear for Allah at all. It's not possible, right? There must be some... If he's a Muslim, there must be at least some type of taqwa within him. There must be iman within him. If there's no iman at all, then he's not a Muslim, then he's not a Muslim. Right? However, as we explained before, there are levels to our belief. There are levels to our deen. Islam is the entry point. The entry point. So we Muslims at least. Iman is the second level. Ihsan or the Muhsineen is the third level. Right? No doubt, no doubt, the higher up you go, the, the, the greater your wilaya becomes.
your status, the type of wali you are becomes. But ultimately, all of us are awliya. Right? But our levels may be very low. Because our iman is weak. And our taqwa is weak. You understand? Those who have strong iman, true, firm believers, yaqeen, and they are people of ihsan, they have great taqwa of Allah, they feel that they are conscious of Allah with everything, they are of the highest levels, they, they are a stronger type of wali. They are the true awliya of Allah, the true awliya of Allah. Because ultimately there's two descriptions given, iman and taqwa. Iman and taqwa. Shaykh Zahm Tamiyah, he said, Man kana mu'minan taqiyan, kana lillahi waliyan. Man kana mu'minan taqiyan, kana lillahi waliyan. He says, whomsoever is a mu'min, and he has taqwa, then he is a wali. Khalas, that's it. Two things, because that's all Allah said. Right? Um, <clears throat> and Ibn Thaymin says, as for those who claim that they are awliya of Allah, like the Sufis, and some of them other people of, of khurafat, superstitious people, he says they are not awliya of Allah. Because firstly, some of them have lost their iman through shirk, through uh, you know, major bid'ahs and so forth, through these superstitions. Some of them have lost their iman, but they are walking around and claiming that they are awliya of Allah. Some of them are supposedly awliya, but they are magicians. They are working with black magic and using jinn and using this, but they are promoted and they walk around and they promote themselves as awliya. He's a hazrat, the people say, or he's a wali, or he's a this, or he's a that. The reality is, he's not, he's the furthest thing from that, because he's lost his iman through shirkiyat, through khurafat, which is superstitions. Through innovation, through kufr, through sihr, through using jinn. But it's supposedly a wali. That's not a wali. It's the furthest thing from a wali. A wali could be the simplest guy in the street. Because of his, the level of his iman and his taqwa. That's it. It doesn't have to be... As I always say, a person who promotes himself as a wali, that's already a sign that there's something wrong with this person. Because a true believer will never promote himself. He'll never raise his, his, his own rank. And you just have to look at the life of the Sahaba to see this. Just look at the way of the Sahaba and you will see they regarded themselves as the worst of the worst. Umar ibn Khattab, the great Umar ibn Khattab, and we're going to see the wilayah of Umar. When he died, he feared, he was on his deathbed, he was fearful of Allah. So Allah won't accept his deeds, Allah is going to punish him, Allah is going to end him to Jahannam. Umar, guaranteed Jannah. The second closest to the Prophet ﷺ, Amirul Mu'mineen, martyred. What was his dua? His dua was, Oh Allah, grant me. What was it? Grant me death in the city of your messenger and grant me shahada. Make me a shaheed. <coughs> How did he die? In Salatul Fajr, he stabbed. How many times the blood was shooting out of his body. When the Sahaba turned to him, what did he say? Did they complete the salah? That was his worry. Did they complete the salah? Okay, they complete the salah. Who stabbed me? Was it the Muslim? They said, no, it was not. It was the Munafiqeen Abu Lu'lu. He said, Alhamdulillah. Why did he say this? Umar, he said, Alhamdulillah. It was not a believer who killed me, who stabbed me. Why? He's worried about the Ummah. 
He knew. He's the Amir. If it's a Muslim that killed me, then it's a problem in the Ummah. And I'm the Amir. It's a reflection on me. Wasn't a Muslim, Alhamdulillah, that said, enemy who killed me, I'll take that. Wasn't one of my own. I'll take that. Allah granted him death in the city of the Prophet and granted him shahada. Dua is accepted. Umar ibn Khattab. He's on his deathbed. His son takes his head in his lap to hold his father. Umar says, put me on the ground. Put my face in the sand. I'm a servant of Allah. Put my head in the sand. That's where I deserve to be. See the humility of Amirul Mu'mineen. And he says, go and ask Aisha for permission that I be buried next to my two companions. He goes to Aisha, he says, Umar ibn Khattab has requested to be buried next to the Prophet and Abu Bakr. And she cries. And she says, I was hoping to keep the spot for myself, my father and my husband. She says, but for Umar, I'll give it. He goes back to Umar and he says, Aisha has given you permission. Umar says, go back to Aisha, ask her again. And don't say Amirul Mu'mineen asked. Say Umar asks. Don't say I'm the leader. Say Umar is asking. Ordinary guy. Don't say the leader. Say just Umar is asking. Ask her again. Perhaps she was emotional. And again, she permitted it because she knew the status of Umar ibn Khattab. And he passes away like this. He's hid on the sand. And he's buried with his two companions. This is the humility of a, of a mu'min. Aisha was the same. On a deathbed, full of fear. Abdullah ibn Abbas says to her, What is there for you to fear? You are the beloved of Rasulullah. And Allah sent your innocence down from the seven heavens. From above the seven heavens, Allah declared your innocence. How can you be fearful? But this was how the Sahaba were. And they were the most knowledgeable. Umar was the most knowledgeable. Aisha was the most knowledgeable female. Look at their humility. Look how they feared Allah. Look at their iman. Look at their taqwa. That is a wali of Allah. These people walking around, giving out bay'ahs, accepting bay'ah, accepting people to follow them, being religious guides, murshids, you know, making up new acts of worship as they go along. New every month, this is the new dhikr you must make. When Rabiul Awal comes, you must say 80,000 of this salawat. When Muharram comes, you must say this dua 70,000 times. All of this innovation, and they supposedly are awliya of Allah. They are Allah al-Azim, they are frauds. That's it. They are frauds, they are not awliya of Allah. They are innovators and they are far away from the taqwa of Allah. And far away from true iman. And that's the point Ibn Uthaym is making. Those are not awliya of Allah. Ahlul Bid'ah, and some of them Ahlul Shirk, they only portray themselves as this for followers, to win people over, for fame, for money, for power, for authority. This is what it's all. It's not actually true uh, following of the Sunnah or following, you know, the Quran and the Sunnah. Wallahu musta'an. So a wali is someone who has these two sifat. Iman and taqwa. Iman, it's a simple deen. Islam is a simple deen. It's got nothing to do with lineage. Right? It's not a deen of lineage. He's from the Ahlul Bayt. He's from the grandson of Prophet So he's a wali. Abedan. Never. That doesn't make you a wali. 
It doesn't make you any better than any of us. It's your iman and your taqwa. End of discussion. So Ibn Uthaymin says that sometimes Allah gives some of the awliya karamat. Karamat, which is what we spoke about yesterday. Karamat meaning some type of miracles, mu'jizat, some type of gifts Allah gives them. Those who are close to him. Is it a necessity? No, it's not. Most of the time he doesn't do this. But sometimes Allah, he does. Sometimes he gives them some type of insight, some type of opening, some type of... Um, it's not a revelation. It's a type of ilham or basira. Like a, like a bit of wisdom or foresight or insight into something or just a feeling, an inclination. You know that something's going to happen. To abstain from something. To not go to something. Or, you know, a sense, like a sixth sense type of thing. Right? Sometimes Allah gives this to His awliya to guide them, to keep them safe from harm, to protect them from certain things, from certain misguidances, from certain, you know, Allah does this for His awliya. And this is well known. Right? But it's not a necessity that Allah gives each one these karamat, these blessings and these miracles. This only happens at times. So firstly, Allah withholds it. Why? To test you. To see if, this, if, it's, if that's what you, what you are after, then that's, the, that's a sign of your niyyah. If you are only, you know, you're doing certain ibadat, why? Because I want to reach that level where I'm going to get, uh, you know, dreams that come true, or insight into certain things, or feelings into certain things. Allah withholds it from you to see what's your intention. And other times Allah blesses certain people with it, either to protect them and those around them, or to guide them, um, or as a bounty from Him. You understand? Uh, and this has happened, as we said, it happened with Umar ibn Khattab. The great Umar ibn Khattab, this happened in his life a few times, where he was given certain insights, certain wisdoms, certain knowledge that was not given to others. And that's why the Prophet praised Umar so much. There's so many ahadith that speaks about the virtue of, of Umar. He said, had there been a prophet after me, who would it be? Umar ibn Khattab. Had there been a prophet after me, it would have been Umar. If there's one eloquent person in my ummah, it's who? Umar. If it was one knowledgeable person, Umar. So many things about Umar al-Khattab. If he comes on one path, the shaitan takes a different path. Because shaitan is fearful of who? Umar al-Khattab. Yet Umar was not near to Abu Bakr. Umar was not near to Abu Bakr. Anhu. So what happened with Umar one day was, as Amirul Mu'mineen, he's on the member in the masjid giving a khutbah. And he had sent out an army that was led by Sariyah ibn Zayd. Sariyah ibn Zayd was leading an, an army in Iraq. So Umar is in Medina, Sariyah and his army is where? In Iraq. Thousands of kilometers apart. Umar is on the member giving a khutbah to the rest of the ummah. And all of a sudden Umar turns and he says, Ya Sariyah al-Jabal. Ya Sariyah al-Jabal. Oh Sariyah the mountain. Oh Sariyah the mountain. And then he continues giving the khutbah. And the sahaba thought, what is going on? Sariyah is not here. 
Saria the mountain. Saria the mountain. You know, what is this? Months later, when Saria returns home with his army, they mention what happened. And Umar, or the Sahaba in the masjid mentioned, you know what happened one day? Umar was shouting one day in the mimbar, Oh Saria the mountain, oh Saria the mountain. And the Sahaba who were with Saria said, We were out in the battlefield and we heard a voice saying, Oh Saria the mountain, oh Saria the mountain. And we turned and we saw there was an army ready to pounce on us from behind this mountain. So Umar's voice reached from Medina to Iraq. And this is only by the Qudra of Allah that he used Umar to save that army, to get the attention to turn to the mountain that they didn't think of turning to. They heard a voice saying, they heard the voice of Umar. And they, you know, they probably thought they're imagining it, but they said, we heard the voice of Umar. And they said, well, Umar stood on the mimbar and he said it. This is a karama, a miracle that Allah can give to his awliya. So for some reason, Umar thought of Saria, and it's as if he saw what's happening. Allah gave him that insight at that moment, and he said, Saria, the mountain, Saria, the mountain. And at that moment when Saria looked, and this can happen, wallahi, this can happen even in your home. Somebody can say something now, uh, just move that item or something. Because he just saw, pictured something, and the next thing you know, uh, if they had that item been there, somebody falls, they would have bashed their head in the item. For example, Allah does this at times. He opens up for certain people in mysterious ways. Why, how, only Allah knows. It's a possibility. And the closer you are to Allah, the more these things might happen in your life. Right? But this is not why we worship Allah. It comes by the bounty of Allah. Also, Sa'ad ibn Abi Waqqas of the famous companions, Sa'ad ibn Abi Waqqas, one of the earliest Sahaba to accept Islam, and one of the most virtuous of Sahaba, is also a narration of his, where he's uh, uh, also on, on, on going towards battle, and as they come towards a place, one of the kings of Persia was there, and they were about to battle him, and they were behind a river, the Tigris River, a huge river which was overflowing. The river was overflowing. And as they come, they find that the river, the bridge, the, these people destroyed the bridge to prevent Sa'ad and his army from crossing over to them. So what did Sa'ad do? He got on his horse and he crossed the river. A flowing, overflowing river, which means that horse were not, were not supposed to have been able to Walk across. So Sa'ad decided, he gets on his horse and he crosses. And he just goes for this, these people on the other side, which was one of the Persian kings, to go and fight them in jihad. And as he crosses, all of the others on the army, they get on their horses and they cross. And as they cross, they get on the other side, nobody's harmed, the water didn't, like barely touch them. And as they come on the other side, these people said, the devils have come, the devils have come. As if to say these people are, you know, like magicians or something that they came over. But this Allah gave them. To their bravery, to their intention, perhaps it was pure. Allah opened up for them and they crossed this river. And they went and they conquered the lands. Allah gave this to the people of Badr. Something similar. Where a small group overcomes an army that's more than three times their size. Or at least three times their size. 
Right? This is the qudra of Allah. Allah can do this for anyone. Allah can open up like this. And especially this will be given to his awliya. You understand? So what do we say? وَتَوَلَّنِي فِي مَنْ Coming back to the hadith. وَتَوَلَّنِي فِي مَنْ تَوَلَّيْتِ I didn't teach in a long time. I'm, I'm, I'm talking too much. وَتَوَلَّنِي فِي مَنْ تَوَلَّيْتِ You are basically asking Allah to give you this special wilaya that he gives to his special slaves. So grant me this wilaya like you've given to, to others. We've given this wilaya too. You understand? This is what you are asking Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for when you say this dua, وَتَوَلَّنِي فِي مَنْ تَوَلَّيْتِ The next part says, وَبَارِكْ لِي فِي مَا أَعْطَيْتِ And bless me in that which you have provided of me or given me. Bless me in that which you have given me. Meaning what? Sin barakah. In all that you've given us. Send us barakah in what you've given us. وَبَارِكْ لِي فِي مَا أَعْطَيْتِ Send barakah in that which you have given me. Uh, of knowledge, of children, offspring, of wealth. And other than that of what Allah has given. Whatever Allah has given you, are asking Allah to, to bless it. Whatever Allah has given you, you are asking Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to, to make it blessed. So ultimately, barakah comes from Allah. Barakah comes from Allah azza wa jal. What is barakah? Barakah is where Allah gives you an increase, not necessarily in value or in amounts, but in, in, in that thing being blessed, yani, that thing will last for a long time. That thing will be, will be full of goodness. It will sprout goodness. It will bring about more and more goodness. It's blessed. So you can have a little wealth versus a lot of wealth. But the letter that's blessed will last long. The wealth that's no blessed, it will just be gone before you know it. Or the khayr and barakah that you'll get out of that little will be so much compared to the little of blessed or, or, or fruits that you get from a large amount of wealth. Because the two is not the same. The one might be more than the other, but the other is more blessed than the other. There's a big difference between the two. Do you understand? The same with ilm. Knowledge needs to be blessed knowledge. Beneficial knowledge So if you look at the, the, the dua that we make after Fajr The hadith the Prophet used to say Allahumma inna as'aluka ilman nafi'a Wa rizqan tayyiba wa amalan mutaqabbala It's a very powerful dua I'm, Oh Allah grant me knowledge that is I ask you for knowledge that is Beneficial Not wasted knowledge Not book knowledge that we don't apply That we don't live by It doesn't affect us It doesn't change us you understand? That's not beneficial knowledge. We aren't with knowledge, it's beneficial. We listen, we study, we read. You know, for what? To benefit ourselves. To remove the jahal from ourselves and from others eventually. This is ilmun nafi' and not just knowledge that's by the way, you know? Okay, we learn something, but that's it. We don't act upon the knowledge. We don't follow up. We don't, subhanAllah, this is the problem with most of us. We increase in knowledge, but the Amal doesn't follow. The action doesn't follow. Nor does the knowledge change us. If the knowledge is not changing you, that's a, that's a concern. should be concerned because what's up? Why is the knowledge not changing me? It's not penetrating my heart. It's not changing, not bringing me closer to Allah. If it's not, it's not knowledge that's blessed. It's not knowledge that is barakah in knowledge that's blessed. Firstly, it will benefit the person himself. 
he comes closer to Allah. That knowledge brings him closer to Allah. Secondly, he will spread the knowledge. And others will benefit from his knowledge. This is ilm that is mubarak. Ilmul mubarak, ilmul nafi'. Others will benefit from it. It will change the lives of others. And just look at the pious predecessors and we'll see the barakah of their knowledge. All that we are learning is through their hardship and their work, their compilations, their studies, their sitting in gatherings of knowledge and learning. Imagine their rewards. Imagine their rewards. That Sahabat we spoke about, the Tabi'een, those who followed them, those who followed them, documenting the ilm, teaching those who came, and teaching those who came, and teaching those who came. We come today, 1400 years later, all those in this, this line of knowledge of 1400 years is going to get the same rewards from each person who learns, from each person. Is this not barakah? Imagine the rewards, it's endless. It is endless. And that's why it's one of the sadaqatul jariyah, is knowledge that you leave behind. That people will benefit from. That is one of the best sadaqatul jariyahs you can leave. That somehow people will benefit from your knowledge. Every week we read this book from Ibn Usaymin, his commentary, his in detail commentary. Sheikh's passed on. You think the Sheikh ever thought, comes out of a desert in Saudi Arabia in, from Uneza, a small village, that one day people in Cape Town is going to be reading his works and studying his works. People in America, people in Britain, people all across the world going to sit with his books and be studying his books and reading his books and teaching his books. Do you think the Sheikh ever realized this or thought this would happen? The Sheikh never thought this would happen. But this is how Allah SWT can raise some people and bless them and bless their knowledge. This knowledge is blessed. Wallah musta'an. Um, barakatul mal. Wealth that's blessed. Right? What is bar- Firstly, you, it's wealth the Sheikh says that you are able to fulfill your wajibat with. Meaning, you need to look after your family, after your household. That's barakah. It may not be a lot, but you are able to suffice yourselves. You're able to look after your family and everything, alhamdulillah, there's barakah in it. There are people who earn a large amount of money, but they can't make ends meet. Why? No barakah. No barakah. Other people, small amount, little to no money coming in, but they're surviving. They manage to make ends meet. They manage to fulfill their needs and more. Barakah in the money. Um, likewise, they spend on their families and they spend on their parents and they're able to pay their zakah and they give sadaqat and so forth. This is barakah in their wealth. As the wealth goes away with the sadaqah and so forth, it only increases in your reward and only increases in your hasanat and increases in your uh, barakah and so forth. Uh, as for barakatul walad, your children that are blessed. Blessed children is those children who will assist you in worshipping Allah. Will bring you closer to Allah. Will aid you in your affairs. Aid you in your, whether it's dunya or your affairs even. But they will assist you, make your life easy. They bring khayr, they bring happiness, they bring barakah and they bring, you know, perhaps the students of knowledge. A talib ilm, studying the deen. Or is hafid al-Quran. Bringing the Quran in the home and so forth. This is barakatul walad or awlad, the barakah in your children. They bring you closer to Allah. Other children is, is a fitna. Right? And the Quran says, Amwalukum awladukum fitna. Innama amwalukum awladukum fitna. It's a fitna. Your wealth and your children is a fitna. It's a test. 
They can either benefit you or they could destroy you on the other hand. Right? If your family is not righteous and they refuse to, you know, follow, this can destroy your whole household. The whole, um, the whole household can go astray, for example, Allah Musta'an. Tayyip, so barakah is of utmost importance. This part of the, the qunut, we are asking Allah to bless us in whatever He has given us. وَبَارِكْ لِي فِي مَا And bless me in that which you have given me. وَقِنِي شَرَّ مَا قَضَيْتْ وَقِنِي شَرَّ مَا قَضَيْتْ وَقِنِي means and protect me from the evil of what you have uh, decreed or ordained or decided. Whatever Allah has decreed or decided or ordained, it could be something bad. Right? Waqini means protect me from it. In two ways. Number one, don't send any harm. And if any harm is sent, let it not harm me. If any harm is sent, let it not harm me. Waqini shadrama qadait. Taib. Uh, firstly, Allah can ordain certain things which are shar. Shar means evil, right? Shar. So Allah can ordain and decree certain things which are considered as something shar, harmful. Does this mean Allah is evil? Right. The hadith says that shar can never be attributed to you, O oh Allah. Right? Washarru. The Prophet said that and all goodness is in your hand and evil cannot be attributed to you. Right? So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, He can never be known as evil, nor is what He does evil. Right? His qada by itself is not evil. Although the, what it ends up being could be something harmful. It could be something harmful, but there's still khair in it. But there's still what? in it. So let's look at certain examples. Allah might ordain a, a drought. No rain, no crops, no this, no that. Right? So what do we look at it as? Something harmful. Khair? Does this mean Allah is evil and harmful? No. Allah has given us this as a test. What's the end result? What's the, is there any goodness in it? There's lots of goodness in it. For example, Allah says, ظَهَرَ الْفَسَادُ فِي الْبَرِ وَالْبَحْرِ بِمَا كَسَبَتْ النَّاسِ That فساد has been spread become apparent in the land and in the oceans because of what the hands of men have earned. So first is because of the sins that this is why it comes. لِيُذِيقَهُمْ بَعْضَ الَّذِي عَمِلُوا So that they can taste some of what they have done. لَعَلَّهُمْ يَرْجِعُونَ So that perhaps they come back, they return. So Allah sends us bala, Allah sends us tests and calamities and hardship that seems evil, that seems like something, you know, harmful. In reality, it's there as a لَعَلَّهُمْ يَرْجِعُونَ That perhaps they return back to me. Through this bala, what happens? You wake up out of your ghafla. It wakes you up. You see, we're going on a path. What happens? We become distracted by the dunya. We become distracted by studies. We become distracted by uh, somebody from the opposite sex. We become distracted by wealth. We become distracted by a job that we are after. We become distracted by so many things. TV. Uh, you know, distracted by certain series, by this, by that. So many things and distractions in this world. What happens? You go further and further away from Allah. Your ghafla increases, your negligence. Your Quran gets left, your, your salah gets left, your, your salah is maybe lacking in its, its khushu' and so forth. What happens? Bala. 
accident or loss of wealth or somebody becomes sick, whether it's yourself or your family member, something happens. It seems like a big calamity. But what, what does that calamity do? It brings you close to Allah. All of a sudden we turn to Allah, Ya Allah. And we realize, you know what? I've been doing this A, B, C, D and E, F, G of sin. We start to give it all up. One by one and become closer and closer and closer to Allah. And in reality that bala was actually a, a good thing. Perhaps it's something that you hate but it's something good for you. It's something good for you. And this is the sunnah of Allah. That's the test of Allah. There's khayr in it. Sickness, the same the Sheikh says, how many people became sick and this only brought them close to Allah. This only brought them close to Allah. And there's a statement of Ibn Taymiyyah that I love mentioning. Ibn Taymiyyah, rahmallah, he said, sometimes the calamity would bring him so close to Allah. He would feel he's so close to Allah because of a difficulty and a calamity that he would hope the calamity never goes away. Initially, it feels like a huge problem. But that brings him so close to Allah, he feels like that thing is so good, man. If it stays there, I'm going to stay close to Allah. So he's like, it's as if he's hoping it never goes away. Because it actually brings him closer to Allah. This is, the, this is what they've tasted. You know, what the, the righteous have tasted by getting close to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So definitely we don't say that whatever comes from Allah, or what comes from Allah, there's khair in it. Even though it may seem as something evil at times, right? Um, <clears throat> in terms of what Allah has created, there can be that which is good and bad, right? It's out there, the evil is out there. Um, <clears throat> but the qada itself of Allah is khair. The qada of Allah itself is goodness. But within the creation of what He has decreed and, and so forth, there, there may be, there's good and bad. There's good and bad. Um, where were we now? فَإِنَّكَ تَقْضِي وَلَا يُقْضَى عَلَيْكَ فَإِنَّكَ تَقْضِي وَلَا يُقْضَى عَلَيْكَ Right? So we said, وَقِنِي شَرَّ مَا قَضَيْتَ And protect me from the evil of what you have ordained. فَإِنَّكَ تَقْضِي For you are the one who commands or ordains وَلَا يُقْضَى عَلَيْكَ And you cannot be ordained upon. Who ordains or commands. And you cannot be Huh? And you cannot be commanded over or ordained upon. Meaning what? Allah is the one who decides what happens. Allah is the one who decides and decrees what happens. Nobody else. Nobody can override him. Nobody can rule over him. Right? This is the power of Allah. Just like uh, uh, the Quran says, uh, He is the one who protects and no one can protect against him. Allah is the protector and nobody can protect against him. Meaning, he is the ultimate protector and if he decides to destroy something or punish somebody, nobody can stop it from happening because nobody can protect against him. Likewise, he is the one who ordains. Nobody can stop his, stop his decree or decree uh, over his decree. Or, or, you know, st- stand up above him and say, instead of this, we're going to do that. If Allah wants to happen, Nobody can stop it from happening. This is the power of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Innahu la yadhillu man walayt. Innahu la yadhillu man walayt or man walayt. Meaning, none that you have, com- you have committed to your care shall be humiliated. None that you have committed to your care 
shall be humiliated. What does this mean? Whomsoever Allah has given that wilaya to, made a wali that, like we spoke about, then nothing can humiliate him. Nothing can humiliate him. If Allah has given him honor and a special wilaya, nobody can take it away. Nobody can now disgrace him or humiliate him. Again, what happened in the time of the Prophet ﷺ? Abdullah ibn Ubay ibn Salul of the head of the Munafiqeen. He had a goal against the Prophet ﷺ to deceive him. And he said, when we return to Medina, la yukhrijannal a'azzu minhal adal. That's what he said. In Surah Munafiqeen, you find this ayah. La yukhrijannal a'azzu minhal adal. He says that we will remove the honored, or the honored will remove the, the humble. Who's the humble? Referring to the Prophet Who's the honored? Himself. So he says, we, the honorable ones, will come and we will remove this humble one as the leader, you know, and take over. Right? But can he do this? Does he have the power to disgrace and to humiliate? The power is in the hand of Allah. What does Allah say after this? In the same ayah, Allah says, وَلِلَّهِ الْعِزَّةُ وَلِرَسُولِهِ وَلِلْمُؤْمِنِينَ To Allah belongs Izzah and to the messengers and to the believers. Allah gives them izzah. There's nothing you can do that can overcome them. You cannot humiliate them. You don't have the power to do that. So that's your plan. But izzah is in the hand of Allah. He is Al-Aziz. Al-Aziz, the exalted in might, the one who gives izzah. If he makes something Aziz, you cannot disgrace that thing. Right? <clears throat> so in reality, he was the one who was checked out. He did not do the checking out that like he planned to do because izzah doesn't belong to him. Right? إِنَّ الَّذِينَ يُحَادُونَ اللَّهُ وَرَسُولَهُ أُولَيْكَ فِي الْأَذَلِّينَ كَتَبَ اللَّهُ لَأَغْلِبَنَّ أَنَا وَرُسُلِهِ Indeed, those who oppose Allah the Messenger, they are the humiliated ones. كَتَبَ اللَّهُ لَأَغْلِبَنَّ أَنَا وَرُسُلِهِ Allah has written victory for, 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 for himself, for me, and for the, the messengers. So nobody can humiliate the one whom Allah has blessed, the one whom Allah has given izzah. So we, we are asking, we're saying to Allah, Nobody can um, humiliate those whom you have given, you know, that special care to. Tabarakta wa ta'alayt. You are blessed. Tabarakta means you are blessed. Blessed are you. Right? All barakah comes from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. He is completely blessed in every, in every way. And exalted are you. Blessed are you and exalted are you. Praising Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Exalted, what is the name for Allah that means the exalted one? Allah's name, the exalted. Ta'alayt, it sounds something similar. Al Mu. Nope. The exalted one. We did the name. Think of the, the word ta'al, ta'ala. Like we always say subhanahu wa ta'ala. Subhanahu. Huh? What did you say? Al-a'la. al is the most high. Al-a'la, al-ali. We did together. 
And then we did the third one, which is Al Muta'al. Al Muta'al means the exalted one. Subhanahu wa ta'ala, and exalted is he. Muta'al. Wa ta'alait. Same word. Comes from the same word. Wa ta'alait, and exalted are you. Right? So, just to summarize, what do we mean by exalted is Allah? We mean, firstly, in His that, in His essence, He is above. Right? He's above creation, above His heavens, above the throne, and so forth, in the manner that befits Him. And secondly, He's also exalted in, in every other way, in His attributes, you know, perfection. He's above every single thing, in terms of perfection. Nothing can compare to Him. So he's muta'al in that sense as well. He's ta'ala in that sense as well. He's, he's greater than everything. Perfect compared to everything else. So firstly, physically he's above. Secondly, in a uh, descriptive way, in, according to his attributes, he's also greater than everything, above everything, exalted over everything. So when we say, وَتَبَارَكْتَ وَتَعَالَيْتَ We are praising Allah, acknowledging he is blessed and he is exalted, above um, so that's the first hadith stops there. The next narration says in Al-Tabri and Al-Bayhaqi, وَلَا يَعِزُّ مَنْ عَادَيْتَ It's not part of the other wording of the, of the hadith, which means after they would say, إِنَّهُ لَا يَذِلُّ مَوَالَيْتَ They would say, وَلَا يَعِزُّ مَنْ عَادَيْتَ So it's also part of a different narration. What does it mean? وَلَا يَعِزُّ مَنْ عَادَيْتَ And none can, can give honor to those whom have opposed you. So it's basically the opposite of the previous one. No one can uh, dishonor those whom you have taken into your care. This is the opposite meaning. None can honor or give, you know, honor to those whom have opposed you. Or those whom, yeah, those who have, have gone against you. So whomsoever goes against Allah, there's no izzah for him. There's no honor for him. There's no power given to him. There's no status given to him. Because he has opposed Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. The teachings of Allah. Opposed the deen of Allah. طيب, even if it seems like he's been given izzah, his end result will be loss and failure. Whoever so opposes Allah, if he's an enemy of Allah and the... And the Malaika and the Messenger and Jibreel and Mikael, then indeed Allah is an enemy of the kafirin. So indeed the reality is that the kuffar are the ultimate losers. And there's no izzah for them. There's no honor for them. There's no victory for them. What they have is short-lived. And the only reason they are experiencing that for what in our time, they have the izzah. Isn't it so? If we look at it, it seems like they are the victorious ones. The Muslims are weak. And conquered always and being killed and being oppressed. Why is this? Because we have lost our deen. We are weak within our religion. And it's through the deen Allah gives us honor. Umar ibn Khattab again, we speak a lot about Umar tonight. Umar himself said, Allah has given us izzah through Islam. Allah has given us izzah through our deen. So whoever seeks izzah from somewhere else, he's not going to find izzah. It's not going to lead to real izzah, to real success and honor and victory. The problem is today, most of the Muslims are embarrassed of the deen, of real tawheed and the sunnah. They, they don't find izzah in it. They're not proud of this deen. 
And this is why Allah has removed the Izzah from us as an Ummah. Because the Ummah as a whole is weak. Where is the Tawheed? Where is the Sunnah? Where is, you know, the real core message of the Deen? It's been lost. And this is why the Izzah has been removed. Right? This is why the Izzah has been removed. The Sahaba were successful and they were given Izzah because they were firm upon the fundamentals of the Deen. Their Aqeedah, their belief was firm. The wajibat and the, they were fearful of Allah and so forth. They were of the awliya. And Allah gave them the izzah. Allah gave them that izzah. How we should then strive to be similar and Allah will give us izzah once again. Right? People are crying, where is Salahuddin? Where is our Salahuddin? Salahuddin doesn't just come. You know, the next Salahuddin will just come and take us out of darkness and into light. It's Allah that takes you out of darkness. Into, he takes his own. Wallahu, how does the ayah go? Allah is the wali of the, those who believe. And he takes them out of darkness and into light. It's not anybody else. And that only comes when we make an effort. That only comes when we make an effort. So the third narration in An-Nasai says, وَصَلَّ That this is how they ended the qunut. And... Uh, May Allah send salah upon the Nabi. That's basically how it goes. What does this word salah mean in this context? It means a special mercy. May Allah send a special mercy upon the Prophet. Special mercies upon the Prophet. Some translate salutations. Some as, you know, sallallahu means salutations upon the Prophet, greetings. It actually means a, a special mercy upon uh, the Prophet sallallahu So, that is basically the end of the Qunut, right? I'm going to just run through the fawaid of the hadith very briefly. Some of the benefits of the hadith. Firstly, it's an important dua to make. Allah, the Prophet taught us to who? Hassan, right? He taught us to his grandson, which means it's a good dua to make. In which salah? Witr, right? Does this mean we do it every witr? No, right? Firstly, it's not narrated that the Prophet did it. But it is narrated that he taught this, which means it is a sunnah, but perhaps not every witr. Now and then in the witr, we should make dua. Now and then in witr, we should make the qunut. Not every single witr, but now and then in the witr, you should make the um, qunut and Allah knows best. Right? As for the other benefits... Uh, I'm just going to skip it because we've been through most, most of them. The importance of asking Allah for Hidayah, we've spoken about that. The importance of asking Allah for Afiyah, the safety and security, right? Whether it's a, a safety from the sickness of the heart, it's important. We've, we've covered these issues. Um, we should ask Allah to make us of His awliya, that He grants us that special wilayah. This is important. We ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for this. Um, also, that we should ask Allah to bless our. He blesses us in what He has given us. To ask Allah for barakah. Not just for more and more and more, but ask Him for, for barakah. That's actually the key. Grant us barakah in our offspring, in our wealth, in our actions, in our deeds. That's more than, that's better than asking Allah for, for more. You understand? Um, <clears throat> even in the Sheikh says, in Mu'amalat, there's ways we're supposed to seek barakah. Like when you're eating, lick your fingers. So hadith says you don't know where the barakah is. So lick your fingers after you eat. 
right? Another point the Sheikh mentions is when you bring food in the home, don't weigh the food. Don't weigh the food. Why? Because if you know how much it is, how many days there are, how much, uh, there's exactly so much cups of rice. That's all you're going to get. You understand? So the Sheikh says, just keep put it there and you just keep scooping. Allah can put barakah in it such that it doesn't run out as fast. But if you keep counting it, you understand? You're limiting yourself to what, what, what's there. In reality, just take and take and take without looking. Inshallah, that it will be, there will be barakah in it. It will last a longer time. And this happened in the time of the Prophet Isn't it so? The pot, when they kept dishing and dishing and dishing and dishing and dishing, it never went empty. Yet they fed how many people from it? They should only have been able to feed a handful of people. Allah put barakah in it. So along those lines is what the Sheikh is basically saying. Try not to be people who count everything. You know, just take and take it without looking inside. And ask Allah for barakah. Perhaps it will increase that amount or it will stay at the same amount. Allah alam. This is easy for Allah to do. It's not impossible. We may think, ah, that doesn't, that can't happen. It's not going to happen. We, yeah, we gave some examples of how Allah put, can give. And His qudra, that's, there's no limits. There's no limits. The abilities of Allah has no limits. Believe in the barakah, asking for it, and it will come. It will come. Right? He mentions the hadith, Al-Bayyani bil-Khiyari. فَإِنْ صَدَقَ وَبَيْنَا بُورِكَ لَهُمَا فِي بَعِيهِمَا وَإِنْ كَذَبَ وَكَتَمَا مُحِقَةَ الْبَرَكَةَ بِبَيْعِهِمَا Basically what does the hadith say? To the buyer and the seller, they have a choice in the deal. Except until they leave, until the deal is done. But if they are truthful, and they clarify everything about the, about the product, what happens? They are blessed in their, in their transaction. But if they lie, or they conceal, the barakah will be removed from the transaction. Understand this hadith? You're selling a box of dates and you know there's a problem with these dates. And you conceal that problem and your trade goes through. You sell it and you make 100% profits. The hadith says your barakah will be removed, will be stripped. Because you were not honest and you lied and you concealed. You were not open. Whereas if you were truthful and said, look, Brother, we brought this dates, it's premium dates, but you see there, yeah, this date's got a bit of this on it, and that one's got a bit of that on it, and it's a little bit smaller than I expected, but, okay, you don't have to go beyond the bounds. But you clarify the product as it is. You want it, take it, you don't want it. Haras. The person says, no, but it looks beautiful, alhamdulillah, I'll take it. Baraka in that trade. Why? Sadaqa wa bayyana. You were truthful, and you were, what's the word? Transparent. You clarified everything, what needed to be clarified, right? Whatever needed to be said was said. You don't have to go beyond the bounds and say, I wish it was bigger, or oh, that's excessive. You say what you need to say, khalas. But the moment you know you're concealing something, that can be a reason for Allah to snatch the barakah away. So you may think, alhamdulillah, trade is true, I got the money. Allah is the one who gives and takes barakah. That money will come back and you will get no fruits from, no benefit from it. So we should be after the barakah and not the trade and not the prophets. Because if there's no barakah, there's no khair in the prophets. Wallahul musta'an. So it's important to always ask Allah for barakah and not just more and more and more. Uh, that's, that's fine. Tayyip, we can end off on that, alhamdulillah. Uh, just the last point I'll mention is that the Qunut the, the ended off with the word was sallallahu ala nabi. Right? It's also a sunnah to end your du'as with 
praising the Prophet or sending peace upon the Prophet or sending rahmah upon the Prophet So when you in your dua, try to say wa sallallahu ala nabina Muhammad or Allahumma salli ala Muhammad or something along those lines because there's a hadith that says your dua goes up and it's kept from being accepted until you praise the Prophet. Once it's praised, it goes up. So always remember that. When you make dua, always praise the Prophet It's a key to having your dua being accepted. Just praise him. Say, Allah sallallahu ala nabina Muhammad, for example. Um, and Allah knows best. Wa sallallahu ala nabina Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'een. Subhanakallahumma wa bihamdik. Shalala ilaha 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 il